Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. We are now in the seventh month of the OM Tree calendar, a way that Celtic people of old would divide the year up with their months being named for certain trees based on their symbolism. Now that I'm on an every other week schedule, we're getting these OM Trees every other episode. I'm not upset about this, there are some really fascinating trees coming up. You may have noticed, though, that I did not talk about the six months of the calendar, and that's because not every month or moon in this calendar is named after a tree. For instance, last month was the Hawthorne month. Hawthorns are very thorny shrubs, and if you know me, you'll know I'm not fond of thorns. So I skipped it, and that was my decision. But towards the end of the year, we see a bunch of other plants that aren't trees, like ivy and pond reeds. So, really, I'm just doing this through the summer. Now that we are in the summer, though, we find ourselves in a month named for quite the important tree. Month 7 in this calendar is the Oak Moon, also referred to as Dur. To be entirely honest with you, I've actually been avoiding oaks up until now. Which you may think is crazy, oaks are insanely popular trees all around the world, and it's one of those trees that anyone listening can guess at the symbolism for without having to hear stories. I think they're great trees, I... I just think there's better ones. My hesitation also comes from the fact that I am from the United States. In North America, when you say oak, you could be referring to any number of oak species because there are so many here. And all these different oak species frequently hybridize with each other in nature, so it always left me with the question of which oak to cover. This coming from the guy who talked about 400 willow species in one episode, but the oaks actually have a decent amount of variability to them. But things are a little different over in Europe, because despite there still being a few oak species native to different regions of the old world, when someone says oak, they are very likely referring to a single species what is called the European oak, English oak, or just common oak. We're going to call it the English oak because I am so attached to this OM tree calendar that would have been used in the British Isles. And like I said, you can guess this tree's symbolism. If I asked a random bystander what they thought the linden or alder symbolized, I'm not sure how in-depth a response I would get. But I say oak, and most folks will think strength, protection, maybe wisdom? It's the king of the woods, the tree of gods and men. Regardless of what we already know, let's hear some stories about this strong, manly tree and maybe learn some things about their history that aren't such common knowledge. The symbolism behind a tree can sometimes be confusing. Whenever I read that this tree represents this theme or ideal, I find myself asking, why? Maybe there's some old story that explains it, but still, why was that tree chosen to have that role in that story? For example, why was the laurel chosen to be Apollo's chosen tree out of any number of trees in the Greek forest? Of course, there's always the possibility that these stories actually happened and don't need reasoning, but you know, I'm a skeptic. The oak is different. I think it's fairly obvious where this tree gets its symbolism of strength. Oaks are typically trees that are physically big, dense, and sturdy, made up of heavier wood than the other forest trees around it. 
The English oak specifically reaches heights over 70 feet or 21 meters, and in rare cases can grow over 130 feet or 39 meters. That's incredibly tall for a European tree, especially the British Isles. And the crown width of the oak often matches its height, making it a terrific shade tree and increasing its overall area of space. And it's not just the crown that's impressive, oak trunks are mega thick. I found a few conflicting sources about the thickest oak trunk in the UK. Either that or British people just all call the same tree a different name, which wouldn't surprise me. But some of these oaks can grow trunks with a circumference of 40 feet or 12 and a half meters. And those that are that big are several hundred years old. Some oaks can live for over a thousand years. And with the extent of Britain's recorded history over the last a thousand years, you'll find that these older oaks are sometimes associated with important historic events. So what are the different parts of this tree? What physically makes an oak an oak? You may easily recognize oak leaves, but you should know that their shape is highly variable. We like to normalize the most symmetric leaf shapes, but that is in no way a standard in nature. In general, the English oak leaf is narrow towards the base and wide at the end with a curved tip. The edges are what we call lobed, and this is kind of disturbing imagery, but whenever I hear lobed, I always think earlobes, so the edges of oak leaves are essentially lined with earlobes. But like just the shape, don't think about it more than you need to, but I'm, I'm not wrong. Oak flowers are our good friend the catkin, a long dangly cluster of tiny flowers that I think look like caterpillars or worms. Typically yellowish in color, and when they are spent and fall to the ground in clusters, uh, they'll be more brown. Those clumps of flowers can get pretty big. Oak trees are big, so they produce a lot of flowers. The street I lived on this spring was lined with big oaks, and when those flowers dropped in April, there were, there were just big clumps of brown detritus everywhere. And as we know to happen, these flowers get pollinated and are replaced by fruit. The oak's fruit is the acorn, a very iconic woodsy image. Acorns are nuts. Literally. The hard exterior of the nut is the casing for the soft seed material inside. I'm honestly not sure how to describe the texture of the inside of an acorn. Like if wood and leather had a baby. That doesn't sound right, but that's what I'm sticking with. And acorns wear a little hat! That round woody structure that is originally attached to the twig and pops right off of the nut. It's literally called a cap. Between oak species, especially across the United States, there is a terrific variety of acorn and cap shapes. Some caps sit really shallow right on top. Some almost engulf the entire acorn. Some are long like a torpedo. Some are really big and husky like frosted mini-wheats. Speaking of frosted mini-wheats, I would say that acorns are not, not tasty. They've been used as a food source for thousands of years, both for humans as well as livestock. Humans have historically seen oak forests as valuable land, not just for shelter and wood, but also because an acorn supply can sustain a healthy population of farm animals like pigs. So this specific oak, the English oak, is referred to scientifically as Quercus robur. Quercus is the Latin name for oak, and robur comes from the Latin word where we get the modern word robust. Quercus, the oak genus, is made up of around 500 species of oak. 
Most of these species are found in either China, Mexico, or the US, so I am not crazy for thinking that the US has an overabundance of different oak species. Oaks belong to the plant family Fagaceae. It's either referred to as the oak family or the beech family, depending on which you like more. Sure, the beech genus name shares the same root with the family name, but of almost a thousand species in this whole family, around half are oaks, so I'll let you decide what to call it. Also in this family, though, is our dear lovely chestnut. But we already understand why Europeans were inspired by their main oak species, just based on its physical features, it's right there! But the question is how they were inspired. What stories did they tell? What shapes did our cultures take because we chose to live alongside oak trees? Regardless of how different cultures may be across Europe, the oak's symbolism from east to west and north to south is consistent. We'll start in the west, with the Oum calendar and Celtic tradition. The Celtic word for the oak is dur, and this is apparently where we get the modern word durable. It essentially means like oak. In the Celtic society, we've historically viewed the people known as druids as religious priests, but ultimately we don't know these things for sure. They may have held a more governmental role, but if the society was based upon religious belief, then those ideas are likely tied together. Regardless of what specific work druids performed, it's often thought that specific oak trees and the areas around them were used as locations to conduct official business, and that the oaks themselves were seen as overseers of this business. In regards to gender, elements, and celestial bodies, the oak is seen as being strongly masculine and tied with the sun and the element of fire, which is an interesting element to associate any tree with. But that's why we see the oak ruling over this specific moon. It is during this month that the summer solstice takes place, when the sun is in the sky for the longest of any day in the year. The oak has also been tied to the weather. There's actually an old rhyme that tells us how rainy of spring we're in for based on which tree leaves out first, the oak or the ash. They say if it's the oak before ash, you'll just get a splash, but if it's the ash before oak, you'll get a soak. This weather connection has often been tied to the fact that oaks tend to attract lightning strikes and be perfectly fine afterwards. It's the opposite from trees like the linden and laurel being revered for supposedly never being struck by lightning. Sometimes oak will have a parasitic plant called dwarf mistletoe growing on them, and when lightning strikes the oak, it may knock some of that mistletoe off. Apparently, if a passerby finds this mistletoe, that is supposed to bring them good luck. All this lightning association makes me want to switch over to Norse mythology. The oak is often tied to Thor, god of thunder, because of the oak's strength, as well as its ability to handle lightning strikes. The oak is also tied to the Norse world tree Yggdrasil. I mentioned in depth in my ash episode about how Yggdrasil is thought to be an ash tree, but this idea is not universally accepted, and it seems the next best contender for this mythical universe schematic is the oak. Even when not referencing the world tree, it is said that the oak's branches reach up to heaven and its roots reach down to the underworld. This sounds a lot like what the Norse world tree is. And the oak would make sense in this role for a number of reasons. For one thing, the oak is strong, strong enough to hold up all the different worlds said to exist throughout the tree. 
and for another, the oak's longevity has tied it to wisdom, which would make sense with the story of Odin learning the power of runes from the world tree. Personally, I'm still inclined to lean in favor of Yggdrasil being an ash. The oak already has so much going for it, but I'll let you believe whichever for yourself. One interesting detail about Yggdrasil that I did not mention in the Ash episode is that the world tree is mortal. Despite its longevity, Yggdrasil is fated to die one day, at the end of Ragnarok, what the Norse call the final battle in the Doom of the Gods. But there is the idea that this fate can be rushed or prolonged, and that taking care of the world tree can help it survive longer. I feel like that's some common sense that can be applied to our modern day. The Norse Thor isn't the only god of the sky and thunder, though. Down in ancient Greece, we see the sky god Zeus also claiming the oak as his holy tree. In fact, one of the oldest Greek legends is about the oracle power of the oak. There is an old oak grove in the holy site known as Dodoma, where it is said the god of gods communicates with his followers through the rustling of the oak leaves. I'm fascinated by how gods seem to frequently communicate through trees, as Apollo's oracles would receive visions when chewing his holy tree, the laurel. Almost like trees and nature are the bridges between us mortals and whatever ruling forces exist above us. The oak's masculinity theme we saw in the Celtic lore is also seen in Greek tradition. The oak could be seen as having husband or father energy, as Zeus was the father of many of the primary Greek pantheon gods. We also see it mentioned in the story of Bossus and Philemon that I told in the Linden episode. Where the Linden was the feminine aspect of marital love, the oak was represented as the opposite masculine half. And as is tradition, we see these themes carried over to the Roman belief, but given more authority and structure. So in this way, we see the oak representing strength and victory similar to the laurel. It was another tree whose boughs were used as wreaths to signify a strong leader. And these themes weren't just coming from the physical strength of the oak tree, there is another physical feature the Romans drew inspiration from. Come fall when leaves of deciduous trees turn vibrant colors and drop to the ground, the oaks do something a little different. Sure, their leaves will turn colors, but when they fully die and turn brown, oak leaves tend to continue to hang onto the tree through winter. Romans were inspired by this imagery, boasting that, like the oak, their warriors never fell. Here's a weird detail. Wherever you go across ancient Europe, you'll find these various polytheistic religions, each society worshipping a pantheon of multiple gods that embody various aspects of our living world. And in just about every one of them, there is a god that rules over the sky or weather or specifically thunder, and all of these gods are associated with the oak tree. In old Russian folklore, you see a lightning god named Perun, whose symbol is the oak. In Baltic states like Lithuania, you see a sky god named Perkunas, or sometimes Perkonis, whose symbol is also the oak. In fact, the name Perkonis is theoretically the origin of the oak genus name Quercus. Last episode, I explained the Proto-Indo-European language system that predates ancient societies across Western Eurasia. Perkonis seems to come from the same root word, where Latin gets the word quercus for oak. I find this so interesting. Perhaps all these similarities are just coincidences. Similar thoughts and ideas can absolutely come about independently across the world. 
I've also mentioned before how similarities in faith between Scandinavia and Britain could have come about when these two cultures met and exchanged ideas and beliefs. But it's also possible that the various pantheons of gods that we see from ancient Greece and Rome to Celtic faith to Germanic and Slavic mythologies all stem from a common background as humans developed in that part of the world. And as these societies became more separated, they adopted little differences here and there, enough to call it a new and different faith. But trees, like the oak, remain to keep us all connected. That's how strong this tree's symbolism is. And like how the oak connects us across space, it also connects us across time. In the modern era, the oak tree is no less important to humans. It is a superb shade tree in our urban streets and parks, and its wood is an invaluable construction resource. In the days of British exploration and colonization, the English oak was a symbol of the strength of the British Navy. One lesser-known application of the oak has to do with oak apples. Oaks don't actually produce apples, they produce acorns. Oak apples are actually galls, lumps that form on the twigs in response to wasp attacks. There are these chemicals, tannins, that can be extracted from these galls and have been used to manufacture ink since the times of the Roman Empire. I always thought we got ink from squids or something, but there are a variety of ways to make ink across history, and oak trees were one of the biggest sources of ink. In the same way that druids would conduct business under the oaks, these trees still served as meeting places throughout history. It may have started because gatherers were inspired by the tree's wisdom, but in a practical sense, it's just a nice shady place to meet outdoors. And it's easy to find. I could say, meet me at the oak in the woods to the south, and you might say, I don't know which ones are oaks, and all I have to say is, it's the big one. There's actually a famous oak tree in Sherwood Forest, where the legendary figure Robin Hood would meet with his merry men to plan their next actions. This is also an instance where the oak's protection symbolism came in. One legend says that the band was fleeing from various pursuers, and all knew to meet at the oak tree. And when they all got there, the hollowed inside of the tree was big enough to fit and hide them all. Some claim that this massive oak, standing in Sherwood Forest today, is that same oak. But there is, of course, some controversy in regards to if that oak would be old enough to have lived in the time of Robin Hood, or at the very least been big enough to hide all his merry men. And while there is debate about the validity of that story, there is another story about hiding in an oak tree that is widely accepted as fact. After losing the Battle of Worcester in 1651, Charles II, King of Scots, was running for his life and trying to not be captured by the enemy. Like the legendary bandit before his time, Charles came across a large hollowed-out oak and was able to hide there until the coast was clear and he could return to his castle. Nine years later, May 29th was declared as Royal Oak Day to celebrate the king hiding in a tree. Normally, I'm pretty over the idea of a tree having protection symbolism because every tree has it, but with a story like that, I can get behind it for the oak. There are a few more notable oaks recognized in the British Isles, two of which stand near a hill known as Glastonbury Tor. These trees are called Gog and Magog, and the hill they protect is said to hold extreme importance for the people of those lands. Glastonbury Tor has apparently been seen as a holy site for as long as people have lived there, both for the old Celtic faith and for whatever may have preceded it. 
Since as early as the 12th century, monks have claimed this site to be the mythical Isle of Avalon, where King Arthur and his Lady Guinevere are laid to rest. The two oak trees that still stand nearby are said to be the last of a once ancient oak grove that led up to the hill. They serve as a natural way of connecting past and present. One more way that the oak connects past and present is with a figure known as the Green Man. In various chapels across the British Isles, you may find wooden carvings of an old man wreathed in oak leaves. The Green Man is an example of the compromises that were made when Christianity came to Britain and supplanted the pagan faith that was practiced there. These compromises can be seen throughout many aspects of Christianity, like how Brigid was changed from a Celtic goddess to a saint figure, or like how the winter solstice holidays were changed to Christmas. They could keep their holy figures and holidays, they just needed to be made more Christian-friendly. It's led to modern Christianity being more of a blending of faiths, if you think about it, almost a reversal of how Proto-Indo-European faiths split into all those different polytheistic beliefs. But still, we find ourselves connecting through this common symbolism we all see with oak trees. Regardless of changes and differences throughout culture, history, and faith, it is one of those themes that has remained the most consistent. The oak's strength and durability are showcased yet again in how its symbolism has hung on as a constant over so much time. And maybe it is obvious because of the oak's physical characteristics, but it goes to show how valuable this tree is to human culture. As humans spread out and our cultures began to diverge, the oak kept us connected. I'm curious to think about how much more our cultures would have diverged if such a constant like the oak tree didn't exist. At some point, I would like to tackle the topics of our plentiful oaks here in America. I think it would be very interesting to compare and contrast their influence on native cultures in North America to those in Europe. Actually, that kind of sounds too much like an essay question. Disregard that. Until then, we can at least look forward to the next tree I'll be discussing on June 29th. I'll be talking about a different American cultural icon, the Ohio Buckeye. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to pay me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>